So grateful to be with you all today, Hope. Um, how's everybody doing? Good, good. Everybody's awake and recharged and has your caffeine. Um, uh, just to note, last week we shared in our announcements about some of the ministries, the ongoing ministries that here at Table Life Church were a part of. Um, two of those happened this weekend with the... Um, the, uh, the uh, New Hope Ministries serving on Saturday, having a great team that's a part of that um, with the food pantry there. And then this morning, we had people that woke up extra early to serve at the breakfast ministry for um, to serve our, our homeless friends in Harrisburg. So thankful for all you guys. I think um, what I heard, there were about 160 people that were served breakfast this morning. So, um, so grateful that we can be a church that's a part of the good news in many ways in our community. And, um, and so, yeah, just grateful for you guys. You guys really have a heart for people, a heart for our community, a heart for one another, a heart for Jesus. And that is, that is super important. So, um, so switching gears, we're in this series, um, Like a Child, and we've been unpacking different aspects of, of what it means to have faith like a child. There's a scripture we're going to go back to in a couple minutes where Jesus talks about this. But... Um, Thought-provoking, nostalgic question of the day. That's how we've been starting these, this, this series. Um, Thought-provoking, nostalgic question of the day. I want to start out with, when you were a kid, what was your favorite piece of playground equipment? Huh. Okay. Fond memories. Anyone? Anyone? What? Yeah. The swings. Any swing fans, right? Yeah, I was a big fan of the swings. You just, you know, feel like you're on a rocket ship and, and that kind of thing. Any, what, what else? The big, okay, let's put those pictures up there. So maybe these are some of your fond memories of now, like, illegal playground equipment. Um, you will not find these. Yeah, like somebody, like, cracked their head open on one of those, right? The metal sliding board that got to, like, about 250 degrees on a hot summer day. They use wax paper to help slide down. That's, that's an interesting fact. Yeah, and that merry-go-round thing, like I have not seen one of those in like, I don't know, decade, two decades, I don't know, too many people flew off of those. Um, yeah, then there's, yeah, the, the monkey bar things. We had like those like flippy monkey bars that kind of went along. Any other favorite pieces of playground equipment that's not on there I didn't think about? Um, jungle gym, yeah, or the old-fashioned tree. Right? Just the old tree, you know, you, we don't play with those things that are built there. Um, yeah, we had the merry-go-round, uh, swings, bouncy things, the little slides, all that kind of thing. Well, if you spend any amount of time with kids on a playground, um, especially with, with siblings, so maybe you have kids or you have nieces and nephews or maybe you ba- had babysat before or you had a camp group or kids from school, whatever it might be. Um, that if you take them to a playground, you will find one certain thing, and that is that kids mess up a lot. <laughs> especially if you take a group of them, especially when they're related, <laughs> when there's siblings involved. Um, at some point, somebody, two people are going to want to swing on the same swing. Uh, they're not going to want to share the same toy. Um, they're going to head in different directions across the climbing monkey bars, and somebody's going to climb up the slide, right? And that's what's going to happen. And at some point, maybe, if you're really lucky, somebody's going to hit someone else or bite or pull hair, right? That's where we resort ourselves to. And then not long after, whatever that little interaction is, not long after, um, the, the child 
is going to run with tears in their eyes to the adult supervising, hopefully not on our phone, but supervising in some way, and they're going to run there pointing and telling what somebody did to them. Isn't that true? And if you're the adult, if you're the responsible adult who's sitting there, you usually say something like this to them, tell me what happened, right? Maybe you saw it, but you want to hear from them what happened, and it doesn't take a detective to determine what went on, right? Um, See, these conflicts between children can usually be resolved by two very simple easy words, two magic words. Usually, as the responsible adult, you look at the one that seemingly is at fault. It's usually clear, like I said, it doesn't take a detective. And you tell, ask them, what do you say to your sister, your brother, or your friend? And they respond, the two magic words, I'm sorry, right? Usually in that tone, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But what's interesting, though, is the the amazing power of those two words. That that with children, usually when you get one to say, I'm sorry to the other one, you know, maybe they'll shake hands. uh, but, But most of the time, most of the time, they move forward, they mend the relationship, and in about 20 minutes, they're back playing together in the sandbox or on the monkey bars. It's kids... Say us, I'm sorry a lot, probably more than many times a day. But for some reason, for some reason, the older we get, the more difficult it gets to say those two words. I don't know if you agree with me in that. But so, so going back to that, we're in this series like a child. We're talking about what Jesus meant when he, in Matthew 18, he said these words, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And so we've been asking the last several weeks, what did Jesus mean by this? What does it mean to see our faith and to become like a child to enter the kingdom of God? Um, Well, the first week we talked about how what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying be childish. He is saying that, yes, you do need to grow up. He's not saying be childish. He's not saying not to grow up. And he's not saying don't ask questions, because sometimes we interpret that scripture as saying those things. He's pointing to the idea of embracing our limitedness, our powerlessness, our smallness, and to do so in humility, but also the other aspects of being a child, and we talked about these the last couple weeks, of wonder, wonder of the world and seeing what God is doing around us and the gift of play, playfulness. We talked about that last week. But today I want to continue by talking about what what I think are powerful words that kids get right. The two powerful words that kids get right, the two words, I'm sorry. And they're very transformative. I don't know if, if you have a story like this, but, but these two words can change things. They can change people. They can change relationships. They can change your relationship with, with yourself, with someone else, and also your relationship with God, your relationship with God, that, that these are so powerful words. They're jam-packed with power, but yet they're just often so difficult to say. I don't know if you've experienced that. They're just difficult to say that kids often do it with ease, especially when they're told to do so, right? Um, but but it's, it, it, we often overthink them, and, and it changes quickly when we grow up. 
Um, you know, in school, by the time kids enter school, they're learning to defend themselves. Maybe there's bullies. They have to justify actions. They learn to shift blame. And by the time of adulthood, um, we often have a crisis of admitting our mistakes. And, and you can look around and see that. There, there was an interesting article that was published back in 2020, so about three years ago. It was called The Sorry State of Apologies. It's really fascinating talking about um, how companies, politicians, celebrities all have really hard time saying I'm sorry and saying that they were wrong. Really, and, and you, you know this, you know, that, that we know the routine that maybe somebody does something wrong or something that they're not supposed to do. And instead of admitting it, there's like this whole drawn-out process and they hide behind it before admitting all of it or even part of it. Um, or, or what often happens is that a company or a celebrity or a politician will put out a long statement that's kind of cringeworthy. And in it, they will act like I'm saying I'm sorry, but they're actually not. I don't know if you've ever read any, any of them. There, there's some examples of, of possibly some of the worst apologies ever. Um, we have a couple of examples of this. Um, so this is from a child, of course. So Dear Brady, Miss P made me write you this note. All I want to say, I saw, all I want to say sorry for is not being sorry because I tried to feel sorry, but I don't. <laughs> There's honesty there, right? Just honesty is the best policy. Yeah. What about what about the next one? It's a card you can buy. I don't always make mistakes, but when I do, I don't learn from them. That's a good. You can send that to somebody. You know, that's not. Uh, I'm sorry, but not really. I think we have another one. Next, yeah, this is your cake. There's apparently a whole, you can have sorry cakes. Sorry about your diabetes. <laughs> when should you not bake someone a sorry cake? Probably after that. Um, yeah, but there's, you know, there's ways that we think like that are good ways of saying I'm sorry and it's really, really not. Um, a couple years ago, there was this um, uh, Peladon, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that bike, it's like an exercise bike that has like video on it and you can ride with other people around the country and that kind of thing. Anyway, there was a holiday commercial for this Peladon, um, it was a holiday commercial and it was panned as the most cringeworthy and sexist commercial ever. Basically the commercial is of a man telling his wife that she needs to get in shape and he's going to get her a Peladon for Christmas. So, um, and so people, of course, like blew up about this and said, like, how dare you? Like, that, like, that was not a good thing that how to advertise and about like body shaming and all that kind of thing. And finally, Peladon, the company, their response, I think we have it up on the screen, it's a little bit hard to read, says, they say, our holiday spot was created to celebrate that fitness and wellness journey while we're disappointed in how some have misinterpreted this commercial or encouraged by the outpouring of support we've received from those who understand what we're trying to communicate. And this was known, and this became known as the first non-apology. A non-apology. Like I said, an expression and their stock dropped 9% next day after they publicized that. But, but we have such a hard time saying that, right? Or I'm just saying simple words instead of unpacking this whole idea. There's actually PR firms that specialize in helping people say, I'm sorry, effectively. But we seem to just fall short of, we, we have a hard time gulping our pride, and it's progressed in, to a point in our culture that, that some of us really have such a hard time that we never, ever admit that we've been at fault, or we've made a mistake, 
or we've been wrong. And, and, and sometimes we think that by resisting apologizing, by saying I'm sorry, we think that we're avoiding drama and we're strong. But really in the, long, in the big scheme of things is that it hurts us. It hurts us. Because those two words, I'm sorry, can transform a relationship. It can transform a relationship with God as well as with others. And also thirdly, and probably most importantly, is with ourselves. To apologize, to, to admit to ourselves that we have done wrong. And, and so, so how is this, why is this powerful? What, to kind of get at why, I want to read a story from the Gospels. So we have four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these tell the stories of Jesus' ministry. They have different starting points in Jesus' life. Some start Jesus' birth. Two of them do. The other two do not. They start at adulthood. But, but basically, at, at the beginning, um, when, when Jesus is grown and before he starts his public ministry, um, he has this, this, this cousin this, who was born probably about six months or so before him named John the Baptist, who was kind of sent as like a forerunner. He was, uh, some of the Jews called him as like the, the coming Elijah, the forerunner that was going to prepare the way for the coming of the expected Messiah. And so that was John the Baptist's job, was to prepare the people for Jesus' coming. And it's interesting because his message was simple. His message was simple. Basically, he was saying that God's kingdom is coming, God loves you, he forgives you, and he has a way ahead for you, but the people had to get ready for that. And so how did he prepare people to hear that message of good news of Jesus' coming? Well, Mark tells us this. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. You can underline that. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Well, just stop there. It seems like a very weird way to get ready for good news, doesn't it? I don't know. I would expect to throw a party, right? Good news is coming up. Yay, let's just celebrate. But how would confessing, seeking forgiveness, forgiveness is that way of saying sorry, how would that, what would that have to do with preparing for Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus, Jesus is here to forgive and to give new life, and to give a new way of life. But, but the thing is, that doesn't make much sense if you have a group of people who don't believe that they're wrong, they don't believe that they need help, that they don't believe they need saving, and they don't believe that they need forgiveness. And that's crucial, is to start with confession. It's crucial to start with confession, to, to confess your wrongs. That's, that's how a, a, a relationship with God begins, but I think it also connects to us, too, when we're with that power of I'm sorry with others. First, to confess our wrongs, that it, it's hard to be open to Jesus if you think you're fine and you can do it yourself. And maybe you know this, maybe you've struggled with this, or you have a friend or a family member that's struggled with that. See, Jesus wanted to meet people where they were and where they are, but, but he also wants to develop and to grow them. He wants to grow us. Um, but he can't help if you don't think you need it. He's not going to push himself on anyone. He can't help with that if, if, he doesn't, if people don't think that they need it. 
And that's why I think like there's a, there's a real power in recovery groups and recovery ministries, AA being one of those. There's others like Christian branded ones like Celebrate Recovery. And, um, and, and the thing is, step one in recovery, if you've ever been to a recovery meeting, is admitting it. Admitting you need help. You can't do it. Admit you have a problem. You have a problem. And that's the first step back because that, from there, that opens up everything else. And I know this too is that that's why counseling does not work if it's forced on somebody. You have to admit that you have a problem first. And at the beginning of the gospel, uh, there, the uh, growth and development and maturity and relationship with God, are they're all premised to us by admitting our need, to admit that we're wrong. We've been wrong. We, we've messed up. To recognize that we get it wrong, and that and that's kind of goes hand in hand with the, the next, act, next aspect. Confess our wrongs, but then admit our need. Confess our wrongs and admit our need. That, that growth and change and reconciliation and receiving grace, receiving grace from God and mercy, a fresh start is only possible if we see a need for it. If we see a need for it. And that's the gateway. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple, but, but saying sorry and admitting our fault, and while it's essential for us in life, it's so hard for us to do, and even with God, it's difficult. Um, a number of years ago, there was a um, lady in the church that I, a lady in the church I was serving that um, asked to meet with me to just talk about some things in life going on, and, and she really was just gut honest about this, and she shared like, that it was really hard for her to see herself as a sinner, it was really hard for her to see herself as, as being broken or fallen, some traditions would say. Or, or she says, you know, I like mess up, but real sinners are murderers. You know, real sinners are people that, that, that steal things from people and break people. She's like, I've done some like little things, but I don't think that's, that's really that bad. And she just had a real, real struggle in doing that. But then we were in our conversation, we were talking about the question, though, but where's the line, right? I mean, how good is good enough? Like if you just do a couple of like these little things and then you just like hurt someone, you said something you shouldn't have thought, you, you know, maybe had a, a, a thought that, that was, that was uh, wrong in some way. Um, like where is, where is that line? Who draws that line? Do you get to draw that line and say, you know, because I think we would all draw our lines a little bit different, right, along the way. Um, and, but, but she admitted that, and I think it's true that we, we often struggle with that. It's easy to see someone else as broken, as fallen, as a sinner, as somebody that's in need of, of grace, that's, that's just far off away. But when it comes to ourselves, it's a different story. See, the, the very definition of sin comes from an archery term. It means missing the mark. It means missing the mark. And I think even if you struggle with like, okay, like sin, like what is moral right and wrong? Are there some things that are, that are fuzzy or not or black and white? Um, I think we can all admit that there's something inside of us that knows that we're not, we aren't what we're supposed to be. And we don't act how we should. And that, that somehow our expectations and, and maybe God's expectations of, of what we could and how we were designed, that we're not living into that fullness. And that can be missing the mark. That, that all of us can recognize we, we aren't what we want to be or what we could be or what we should be. And that's where um, in, in the letter of 1 John, he kind of says it plainly like this. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But 
get this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Kind of, kind of a, a little bit of a warning there that, that Jesus loves us and wants to do new things in our life. He wants to take us away from unhealthy behaviors and harmful habits. But, but Jesus doesn't want you stuck just to, like, to show you that, hey, you know, you're wrong and this is it. Like, no, he wants a path forward for you to show you that life is more, that you can be part of the kingdom of God on earth. You could be part of the solution, not more of the problem. But you can't do any of that if you refuse to believe that you need help, that you need forgiveness, that you need to be saved from something. Isn't, and isn't it true that you've experienced this? I've experienced this. Freedom comes from forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever had a broken relationship with someone. Maybe it's been a short period of time or a long period of time. And maybe there came a point that, that you, you, you talked and you were able to reconcile and there was a sense of forgiveness. And, and I remember this time that that took place. And literally when I left, I felt like 15 pounds lighter. It, it's It's real. That freedom comes from forgiveness. And, and the thing is, when it comes to, you know, that could be a relationship with someone else, but also we struggled with this internally with ourselves too. So I don't know if you've ever struggled to forgive yourself for doing something. And, and maybe you did, but then you went back to it and you kind of took it back and, and you harbored that even more. Well, Psalm 103 um, is, a, is a great one that says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But when we confess our sin, it's, it's lighter on us because God actually takes that and he casts it away. Um, there's a story of, of someone who had asked an elderly Christian lady, um, they asked her, does the devil ever trouble you about your past sins? And she answered, yes. And so they asked her, well, then what do you do? What do you do when those things come back? And she replied, oh, I just tell him to go east. And so the person asked again, but what do you do if he comes back after that? And she says, I tell him to go west. And then he, she said, and, or the person asked, but when he comes back from the west in your mind, what do you do then? And she said, I just have him keep going from the east to the west, and he gets tired. <laughs> but it's true, right? It's, it's true that, that that sense of forgiveness is possible, we, but we also have to let it go, too. To let it go into God's hands, to trust God, yes, I've been forgiven. And yes, or I have forgiven someone else. And, and that's where like, this next part that is crucial, though, too, that it's not just about God, though. is that we go to God, but that's also important that if it's possible, if it's possible, some situations it's not possible, maybe the person has passed on, but to go to the person you've wronged, to go to the spouse or the friends or the coworkers or the parents or, or your neighbor, to go to them. And, and the thing is, it seems like so many conflicts could be easily avoided if we, or resolved if we just admit to others that we've done something wrong, to say, I'm sorry. And allow that possibility of moving forward. And see, the early church knew this. The early church knew the power of confession. And that's where the tradition, if you ever grew up in the Catholic church or you know Catholic people or whatever, that's kind of where that tradition came from, that they have a, they actually called a sacrament 
that confession to a priest is kind of, they believe that that's kind of an intermediary between um, a person and God. We don't necessarily embrace that here at Table Life Church, but there is a sense of confessing verbally to someone else about something that you have done. There is something about that is, that is extremely powerful, and especially when it's the person that's been wronged. See, the early church knew it. That they knew that it wasn't just enough between you and God in your, in your heart. And like I said, there are some situations the person has passed. It's been, it's been years. Um, but it's not enough just between you and God. And, and if anyone knew this, get this. This is Jesus' brother, James. So we had that little like, sibling talk. Like I bet on like, the ancient playgrounds, I don't know what they looked like, but I'm sure some kind of ancient playgrounds, like James and Jesus at some point were playing with one another. And somebody took somebody's toy. So this is James, Jesus' brother, saying this. He says, therefore, he's saying this to the early church, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. See those two together? And pray for one another so that, what? You may be healed. You may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And he uses this, this word, the confess there, is this, this Greek word. And, and this Greek word, um, I'm going to have to mispronounce this, but it's exomodologio. Exomodologio. Ah, it's been a while since I've taken Greek in school. But um, basically, the word confess, it means literally to declare and say out loud and to exclaim or to blurt. This isn't just a little prayer in my heart type thing. This is an outward expression See, there, there can be complicated issues in relationships and marriages, friendship. Even in church, believe it or not, right? There's going to be somebody at some point here, if you're a part of our church, that's going to tick you off. Or that's going to hurt you. And guess what? You at some point are going to hurt someone else. But guess what? James's words are true to us just as much as it was true back then. That healing starts with talking. To confess, to pray. Instead of blaming or avoiding or excusing, and, and, and you know this too, I know this, that winning an argument gains nothing in a relationship. The only thing it does is lose it. And that's where James's words, confession plus prayer equals power. Confession and prayer together is a powerful thing. And, and if the recipient of that can do the same, to recognize that at some point they have needed grace in their lives too, that saying sorry has the power to unlock a relationship, to receive grace. Sometimes the, the grace of God has to be allowed in, but the grace of God can be enough. That I'm sorry unlocks the ability to grow and to move forward. And, and the thing is, I, I get this, like, it's super hard. It's hard. And I think it's also important, though, to remember that not, not to say, like, everything is your fault, right? But rather to own your part. Because sometimes we go overboard on the other end, too. And, um, and, and it tends to be, and I've read articles on this, that, that women have more of a habit of doing that, of saying, I'm sorry for a million things, when it's like, no, 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 just own your part. Own that piece that you have done. But it can feel threatening and vulnerable, but, but conflict is going to come, and you're going to mess up. You're going to hurt people. I'm going to hurt people. And they will hurt you, and they're going to hurt me, and they can hurt each other. But sometimes it just becomes more dramatic than it really needs to be. That I'm sorry I can have a start to something new. And, and so, friends, I wanna, uh, this week, I want you to get, give this a try. 
I want you to give this a try. That this week, in small ways, I'm not talking about like going back. Maybe, maybe it is for you. Maybe God's speaking to you right now, and you need to go back and talk to your dad about something. And like, if so, be it. But this week, I want to challenge you in small ways to own your part when you mess up. In small ways, own your part like a child. Just use those two magic words, especially when you want to argue or justify or make excuses or take your toys and just go home. To say sorry might be able to set the table for healing and starting that relationship new. It's kind of like, um, as a kid, like the hydrogen peroxide, right? When you got a cut open, you poured the hydrogen peroxide, and how did that feel? Pretty painful, right? But, but what makes it so hard is what also makes it so restorative and healing. And I just want to give you, this is also in your, in your um, sermon notes too, but just so, like three simple steps on how to do this. So the first, this is kind of, uh, it should be very, very easy to, to think about, and you probably know this, but first just to confess that you did something wrong. Just to say, I shouldn't have, it was wrong of me too, I know I hurt you. Then the second piece, to say the actual words, I'm sorry. Don't do the non-apology like the Peladon, right? Or that little boy that said, I can't really feel I'm sorry, but I should say I'm sorry, right? But just to say the actual words and stop there. Stop there. Don't add the non-apologies. Don't say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Don't so- I'm sorry, I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm sorry you think that. I'm sorry if I stepped on your toes or offended you. Don't say those things. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then the third piece, share what you'll do differently. What will you do different or better? What will cha- the change piece? Moving forward, I will blank. You know, it's a simple way. Because, but, but the thing is, with saying sorry, saying sorry can unlock the relationship. And maybe there's an area of your life that you've been stuck, been trying to justify or avoiding. But God, you feel that tug. God wants you to move forward. And so I want to ask you today, first to start with him to come to him, to confess the, to him ways that, that you've wronged God or you've been wrong. Uh, or, or maybe it's someone else in your life that has, has passed and maybe you've never had a chance to say I'm sorry to them or a chance to tell them. And, and on their behalf, you can tell God. You can speak to God on their behalf. But maybe for you it's someone to confess to. Maybe it, and, and the thing is it's not foolproof, but it opens up the possibility of restoration. And after all, kids do it easy. They, they say, I'm sorry, on the playground almost daily. And I want to challenge us as adults and those of us that are people of faith to be more like children, to let our pride go and to see what God will do. Because Jesus, Jesus said, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.